The Irish Rally Podcast is brought to you in association with Tech and Tools, SVS Productions, PFT Travel, Rally Connection and Murray Motorsport. currently leading double world champion. <laughs> You're really making a meal out of that, aren't you? <laughs> ah, no, I think <laughs> a little bit down to luck. And Marcus had a few um, problems, like he had a puncture and a couple of spins and one thing or another. But, you know, okay, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Eugene Donnelly, welcome to The Whole Person, and thank you very much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, the Whole Person. <laughs> the Whole Person. We're going to hear yeah. the full story now today, Eugene. Um, no, it is a rally podcast. We were chatting about this. It absolutely is, but uh, it's a wee bit of a twist um, in here. So, as you know, probably uh, at this stage, I love to ask questions. And, you know, really what I love is getting to know people getting to know the workings of people in the world around me and uh You're a nosy most partner. importantly <laughs> <laughs> you could say that too, I suppose. Oh, um, most women most are nosy. I suppose always the way um but i suppose most importantly uh the idea for this podcast came because i want to know who you are in your own words you know um it's very important to me that yeah, that we hear your story from you, if you know what I mean. Um, and so for that reason, I've actually decided to not give an intro. Now, to be fair, as soon as your name's mentioned, I don't think too many people will need an intro. They'll know exactly who you are and all of the achievements and accolades. But I don't give the intro on purpose because it's it was a thoughtful process. Um, and it's purely because I want to hear from you your story. And so with all that being said, we'll get stuck straight into it. Um, can you tell us about the early days of Eugene Donnelly, the, your childhood, where you grew up, how rallying started for you? Uh, well, um, I suppose, you know, I was born into a, a family business. My dad had a, a Ford um, agency. Um, I was born in 1967, so, you know, I was born at a great time for motorsport and a great time for the development of cars in general. Um, and I grew up in a little village called Drooperstown in County Derry. Um, and to be fair, my first memories are standing. Um, my mum holding me on the kitchen table, looking out the back one day and rows of brand new cars sitting there, you know, and they were all Cortinas and Anglas and um, Escorts and um, old Cassairs and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, uh-huh. You know, at that, like, that's all I ever knew was cars, you know. Now, I yeah. never had much interest in working on them. Um, that was Charlie's, his real thing, you know, my brother Charlie. But, yeah. um, you know, they, they always fascinated me. Um, and, you know, I can remember just being a wee boy, sitting on my dad's knee, steering the car, and sitting in the front seat with him driving, and I just was always fascinated by them. So as soon as I could touch the pedals, I started to drive. Now, we, we lived in Driverstown until I was about, I don't know, maybe eight, nine, maybe yeah, eight or nine years of age. And we moved to Mahara, which is a bit better known, a place my dad bought a garage there um, on the Korean Road there, which is still there to this day. Um, 
and you know that's where I started to learn to drive uh, just around the garage mm-hmm. and we had a farm just outside the town of Mahara so I had plenty of space to drive up and down the lanes and around the fields and all that sort of thing you know um, but being around Fords and the early 70s well you know there were the Mark II Astro was the most successful car so we had loads and loads and loads of them and the magazine just to come in to promote the new cars and on the i remember on the back of these catalogs was the rs range and it moved from being the mark ones to the new car in mark ii and you know you had your rs 2000 you had your rs 1800 and you had your sports mm-hmm. and mexico's and yeah. um you know, I used to cherish those old catalogs. Like I used to look at the pictures and just, oh, I was in awe of the cars that just were so fast. Yeah. And when one came around when my dad got a new one, if he ordered a new one in for somebody, you just sat on it and had just, you were in awe of it. Like, you know? yeah. So that's, that's really where, you know, it's really where I, I got the whole bug for, you know, cars and more so than, than yeah. actually the driving side of it. But from a personal point of view, I have to say, um, you know, what I'd mentioned there, the move from Driverstown where I went to primary school and I had, you know, I had built up, uh, you know, friends and, at a, you know, your young age, you go, to, you go to P1 and you meet the wee boy beside you and, you, you know, you meet yeah. his family and you just you just grow on to have, uh, you know, a selection of friends. And when I moved to Mahara, I found it extremely difficult, really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I would say... I'd say I, I ended up getting into myself a bit. Um, I became quite uh-huh. shy and I struggled massively at school. Um, it was later in life than I was I was diagnosed with dyslexia. dyslexia. Um, and mm-hmm. I suppose I didn't know that really until my mid-twenties. I, I realized, you know, something wrong. I can't read like it. Even to this day, yeah. I struggle with reading um, yeah. or spelling or anything like that there. So, mm-hmm. you know, that... You, you know you want the personal side of it that was a massive struggle to move from yeah. from you know a small village to Mahara which don't get me wrong it yeah. wasn't a bad town or anything like that but it was a very different town um, yeah well know, a huge change of, at that time in your life yeah you know moving school and then you know mm-hmm. when we were in the height of the troubles at that time as well um, so, you know, that would have been, I suppose, 77 or 76 or something like that there. So, you know, the yeah. troubles was rife. And, and in Drooperstown, you know, it was very much a wee Catholic town. It was, you know, there was no sign of the troubles around the town or anything like that there. Whereas Mahara, mm-hmm. you know, I witnessed, I actually witnessed when I was about 12 or 13, um, an ex-army guy getting shot across the road from the film station. I was standing pumping yeah. fuel one day when I was about 12 or 13. And, you know, Mahara was, I found when I moved there and that whole, you know, I come in to understand the whole thing about the troubles and I come in to understand, you know, the mixed, you know, the mixed people uh, and the different views. I, I mm-hmm. uh, you know, along with having trouble with school and then having that outside of school, um, and then being in the public eye with the business, you know, we had a petrol yeah. station and we had a shop and, you know, I'd have been giving my mum a hand with the pumps or doing, doing the shop with her. And, you know, you would have come in till, you know, you, you started to realise people came from different backgrounds. So I found yeah. that difficult. Um, uh-huh. And I suppose the, the car thing, you know, when we, 
when we moved into the farm and we you know i was fit to race about the yard and the cars it was a bit of a release and a bit of an adrenaline yeah. rush you know mm-hmm. so very quickly yeah. my father would have seen that um between myself and charlie we had a bit of an old flair for it so he kind of turned a blind eye at us <laughs> ripping about around the, uh-huh. the yard and cars that should have been really for sale you know so <laughs> that, know. Was, <laughs> that was uh I, you know, my dad was a great man that way like you know if, if you know uh-huh. you scrape one of them you hit one on the bump you just tell him the truth and he would just shake the yeah. head and oh we'll get it fixed you know he he was that yeah. sort of a, a man that uh not nothing bothered him too badly you know? a bit like my own dad but, uh, <laughs> uh, that's right but um those, got away with those, plenty got away with murder but those days were i have to say were were really tough you know um uh-huh. and when i, I and did you find eugene like, sorry go ahead like i left school when i was 15 like i didn't finish out my gcse's well i couldn't finish them because i you know i was that yeah poor at school like um miles yeah. i was absolutely brilliant at accountancy i was brilliant mm-hmm. at but when it came to geography english anything to do with the the written word um or reading yeah. i was just terrible like, and therefore you know i really really struggled through secondary school and also a big thing that we would have been you know when when i moved into secondary school and we had the the business we had the family business right beside the school and if anybody knows mahara they'll know the korean road well, we owned the filling station on the right hand side going out the korean road and the next to that there is st patrick's high school and that's where i went to secondary school and some people say oh school are great days of your life and so other people say oh they were terrible well i'm one of the people say could say it was terrible like i i really really didn't like school and and not for the reason mm-hmm. about the education i found it a real struggle with the people and then because we had the yeah. business right decided you know people looked at me as if oh look at him he's got a big business and the kids would have come into the shop to buy their sweets and they thought we were loaded like uh-huh. you know um yeah, and i wouldn't yeah. say that we i wouldn't say that you know <laughs> we were well off but we you know we weren't rich by any means like um and yeah you know my dad my dad worked real hard at, at building the businesses and he did very very well um right up until uh you know the late 70s early 80s he did extremely well you know but um mm-hmm. th- those were the challenges for me personally um, yeah before before i even became an adult you know i know yeah and do you feel like those early days particularly with the move um do you feel like you know the cars and the driving provided some sort of solace where there was such sort of upheaval and you know obviously you went from having such comfort and you know that saying of it takes a village that's a beautiful saying because it it sort of reminds you that the whole village is almost like a family and so when you leave that that comfort um and that space of being surrounded by people that that you know you care about um, and you sort of go to a bigger place where you don't know people and people don't know you. You sort of find, try and find things and places or people that make you feel good um, or make you feel safe or in control. Do you think the cars and the driving gave you a wee bit of that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, um, I, I remember sitting in the garage, you know, at nights or at the weekends when it was closed, just sitting in the cars and pretending to drive them. You know, when I was seven, eight, nine years of age. You know, and yeah. even, even going on into my teens, like, you know, if I wasn't driving them around the yard or driving them around the farm, I'd be just sitting in them, listening to the radio or, 
you know, right. just it was a place of solace, like you know that you got away from it all. Um, yeah. And without a doubt, that that was the attraction to it. As uh-huh. I said earlier, I had no great ambitions to actually work on them. Mechanicing was not my thing, um, or engineering was not my thing. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I remember, you know, Charlie would be, for you know, kind of forcing me or showing me what to do or explaining things. Uh-huh. I'd have no interest. I I'd have just no <laughs> interest whatsoever. And I think they put it down to laziness, but maybe they a touch of laziness too, you know. <laughs> I just had no interest in the mechanical side. But of the sometimes it can just be pure passion for the drive. You know, you know well, how the thing it. works and you just want to see it. Yeah. Well, when I was, I would say, 14, 13, 14, I think it was um, the Cortina was replaced by the Ford Sierra. I think it was maybe 13 or 14. But you could look it up whatever year the Ford Sierra came out and you could work out what age I was. But my dad got a few brand new ones on and he had sold one of them to a school teacher in Riverton. He always sold her new cars. But the car came in and of course I had to get driving it around the garage and there was a blanket of snow um, this particular day. And of course the handbrake on a brand new car was two clicks like, you know. And that's mm-hmm. where I started mastering my, my handbrake turns and uh, my drifting. And I can remember those days as well as I'm sitting on this couch. And oh. that memory is what sticks out on my, my early teens, you know, drifting uh-huh. brand new cars around the garage. <laughs> when you think about it, it wasn't wise, you know. Madness. <laughs> those are the things that made everything else go away. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, as I said, the, the troubled times that was in it, um that's that's where I got my happiness out of and uh, every new car that came about the place or every car that I'd never driven before, you know, I seen it being traded in or my dad bought it and I couldn't wait to get my hands on the steering wheel of it. I couldn't wait to jump right. behind the wheel and and in fairness to him he he you know, there was a there was a little bit of curtailment but not a lot, you know. Yeah. And I mean that's it's nurturing that really, isn't it? It's nurturing somebody's flair. Um and it's you know, I remember speaking to somebody recently um who was talking about when the word creativity was mentioned to me my whole life, I would have thought like an artist or a writer or something. But they kind of um turned it on its head and spoke about driving and sort of said that driving is a place where you can, you know, express yourself or get your creative side out and, and do things like that. And um through driving and it sort of changed my whole view on it because when when you when you were describing the the snow and the drifting like it's genuinely it's well first of all the skill and being able to actually do that and control the car but particularly with snow i just have this beautiful image of like you know like the actual sliding and the movements of a car like that is it's like you know like a beautiful thing ice skating or whatever. <laughs> mm. exactly yeah, and I mean, yeah, yeah. what happened, you know, in terms of your rally driving then, like, did you did you kind of decide at that point, like, I have to drive, I just love driving, um, and no matter what now, I have to do it, or was there a, like, was there a moment then when you realised, right, no, oh, right, God, you know no what, I was... can just drive as much? No, I, I, there was never a light bulb moment. Um, Right. It's only looking back on it that I know that uh, that's where I was, you know, finding this thing that made me tick, 
only looking back at the time when I was was living it, I was never saying to myself, "Oh, I want to be a rally driver." I had no ambitions to be yeah. a rally driver, or no ambitions to even compete or you know get into that sort of thing. Because as a, as I said, you know, not a lot of people would actually believe me when I say that I'm actually quite shy and quite quite inward to myself, and I find it difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it very difficult to be in public in one sense, but it's funny with yeah motorsport i'm getting off the track a wee bit but in motorsport there, there's such a, a community feeling enough you know there's like there's nobody there watching a rally that you know doesn't respect everybody that they're with and respect the people that are driving yeah. and the people that are on standing beside them on the ditch you know um, and i found that pretty right away when i started to compete but going back to your your question no i never felt any ambition when i was young uh, this is what a career I wanted. I actually had no idea what I mm-hmm. was going to do. Um, and I worried yeah. quite a lot about that because I struggled with school. Um, and fortunately mm-hmm. enough, I was quite good with the business side of things. Um, but again, you know, I think I think my early teens, I struggled with finding direction. And I know my dad was very good, but Charlie was particularly um cruel but kind in a lot of ways um, my brother Charlie mm-hmm. um, and he yeah. he tried his best to steer me um, but it, it, it soon turned out that I had no interest in, in you know in any kind of a career working at cars or anything like that or even in the garage um, I was more tainted towards the, the shop and the filling station that we had and at a very young age I started taking control of that and my mum had been running yeah. it so I started to take it over and work on that and build that up um mm-hmm. and uh, that's that seemed to be the, the path that i was going down i ah, look i had uh-huh. i had part-time jobs i had part-time jobs from driving a mineral lorry to trying my hand at welding and you know just uh-huh. different things that I, that I did when i was a cub like but um now i was always steered back towards the business aspect you know like buying yeah. and selling and yeah running the guy running the shop and running the filling station um mm-hmm the driving had never come into it until charlie started uh-huh. um and i okay. was only you know i was quite young when he started like i was 16 or 17 like um and that's that's it was mm-hmm. him that gave me the inspiration to to get by the way and go rally you know brilliant and in terms of you know the rally and then like what kept you at it was it that adrenaline that mm. you mentioned earlier was it that pure love I, and thrill of it? I was at the Galway Rally there recently, and uh, I was sitting in with my friend Liam Egan, and we were running right down at the back of the field. And on the Sunday, there was a bit of a delay at one of the stages, and I got out, and there was these two fellas, and and they were in a twin cab, and we were having a bit of crack, you know. And the conversation came up, and there was actually quite, quite a few lads around. There were several fellas from the UK. And they were in their historic cars, you know, which, by the way, I really admire those guys and the way they turned those cars mm-hmm. out. But um, we were having the conversation and he says, one of the guys, the guy that Tony Cam turned, he says to me along the lines, he said, doesn't matter about the wages getting paid on Friday. Doesn't matter about the lorry breaking down. Doesn't matter about trying to find the money for the diesel in on Monday morning. It doesn't matter about the load that wasn't lifted. And it doesn't matter about the bill not getting paid. But he says, we'll all be rallying. We'll do everything we can to get to the rally and get to the event. And I just, that really, that really resonated with me because whenever I started, 
oh, there was no turning off the tap. Um, and yeah. the adrenaline, and then the social aspect of it as well really took me out of my, my skin, you know, took me out of a bit of my shyness. And I found that that side of it, being a young fella, being 18 or 19 years of age, I think I did my first rally when I was 17 or something like that. And mm -hmm. that was, um, you know, that was just, I couldn't get over it. Like, I couldn't get over yeah. the adrenaline rush. I did my first rally and I finished it, uh, which was the Cavan stages in 1986, I think it was. No, in 1984. 84, Anyways, was it? 84, I think it was. And, yeah. you know, that, that whole buzz and that whole adrenaline rush just was like a drug it was just like, you know, I I do I never did drugs, but I can only imagine that high, <laughs> that buzz that you, that buzz that you, you know, you just it's 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 addictive. It's totally addictive. It is. It is, and addictive. it's so so hard to word. And you know, that's reminding me. Whenever you you know you're explaining that, you know, kind of the the age old question: What came first, the chicken or the egg? Do you, what do you think came first? Like, do you think, you know, you were, you were destined to rally um, and it just took you whatever length of time it took you to find the driving. Um, and then as soon as you got into the car and you, you know, you started driving, it all clicked. Or do you think, you know, Eugene as a person was formed and then rallying came in and just sort of changed things you know, which do you think happened first? Do you think like it was in you and no matter how long it took you, you're always going to find it or it just changed you because you met rallying, it changed who you were completely? Oh, well, there's no doubt about it. If if I had never got into the car to compete, I'd be a very different person today, obviously. Um, you know, motorsport completely changed my life and, and put me in a direction that, um, well, let me explain it this way. The first couple of years, you know, there was no results. Like I, I, I was just an ulcer ran. I drove around and I had a bit of fun. And the social aspect of it, as they really, you know, really clicked with me. And it's where I would have met, you know, a lot of friends and would have met friends that I've had for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But um, my best friend in the world who, who I would have known from, I was a kid, like, um, him and I really got into it and he helped prepare the car at the beginning and um, he was just, he was one of these sort of guys that was extremely talented. Um, he's a really good looking fella and he always got all the women, but he was, he does <laughs> social aspect to him as well. And uh, him and I just had some fabulous times going to, to the rallies and a couple of other friends, you know, that have came along with us. And, uh, the first rally I ever won uh, was the Lanes Rally in Marfelt Motor Club, Lanes Rally. And I bought a car of Kieran Shaw, I think it was, or Kevin Shaw. And him and I put this engine into it. And uh, I'm sorry, another fellow, Brian McGuigan. Um, mm -hmm. And that was the first rally I won, and he sat with me. So you can imagine the euphoria that we had. Yeah. Um, and the excitement that we had and the, the celebrations, the local rally, we were only, and, you know, we were 19 at the time. Yeah. And uh, that, yeah, and that happened in September 86. And unfortunately, um, him and I and, and three other of our friends um, were traveling to uh, Bookstown on 19th of December 96. And 
a drunk driver had his head on and he was killed and that um you know that shook that absolutely completely shook my world like yeah you know? um that was just like just like cup an arm off you know um yeah and then the fact that we had been rallying and we had been successful you know the local community you know they kind of i know i knew this was was going on that you know it was said that we were rallying and we were flying and the accident was our fault and it was my fault and you know i had to carry the stigma of that for a while um and i was never i wasn't going to get into the car again i had no interest yeah. in getting back into the car again um but obviously charlie and my brother peter and my brother jim got arrested they you know they didn't force me but left it you know they showed me a path and you know got and got me encouraged to to get back in and i think mm-hmm. the first rally i did after his death was the bally castle single venue and uh, bally castle forest which is a wee tarmac rally yeah and i do i do remember um you know i remember finishing the rally and feeling that lift you know that that adrenaline rushing yeah. in and that self-satisfaction mm-hmm. and i think we did pretty well in the in the event as well like maybe in the top 10 or something which was good for for amazing what, you yeah. know for for her experience and where i was at mm-hmm. at my age at that time um and to be fair you know that was starting to open up a few doors you know those uh-huh. opportunities you know that i think i could have pursued um but like I, I i couldn't really describe um you know i can't i couldn't really describe that you, the sport helped me back from from that tragedy yeah and i was i was just starting to get this is going to sound terrible but i was just starting to get back on my feet again and started getting the things getting a life again and starting to get a bit of normality when my brother died and uh that he died in january 1988 um so aiden died in december 86 jim died in january 88 so it was a, a year and a month between the two of them and a tough period it of was mm, and it was particularly tragic like because yeah. my brother took his wife and his three kids with him um so it was absolutely horrific yeah. um and you can imagine again the stigma that was attached to the family the stigma that was attached to you know my dad and my mom mm-hmm. and um you know 88 was an extremely extremely tough year but again motorsport prevailed and people rallied around us both charlie and myself and yeah. we had a we had a fantastic show in that year in 88 in june the two of us went to the donegal rally and two cars painted similarly um his car was a bda escort um and uh the car I had was a the two liter escort that I had that I had mm-hmm. been successful, and um, unfortunately, the build up to the event was fantastic because as I say everybody supported us and yeah. you know got us into a good a good mind frame. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the uh, the event, um, you know, the first day I think Charlie was lying fifth or sixth overall, and I was just outside the top ten. And the second day everything went wrong. He put it off and fan it head, and I. I had a clutch problem, <coughs> which was terminal. And that was the the power of the sport to bring us back from uh-huh. a very, you know, a couple of very tragic events. Yeah. And uh, 
give us a bit of direction in our life outside of yeah. you know normal living um mm-hmm. and as i say nobody you know looking back at it like there's times i don't know how we got through it but um yeah. definitely motorsport played a huge part in it um uh-huh. and played a huge part in you know stabilizing our lives and giving us yeah. friends that as i say have been there all our lives and friends mm-hmm. that even to this day, you know, when I go to a rally, there's people I've known for the last 30, 40 years um, will yeah. always come over and have a chat to you. And, yeah. you know, those people give you a lift. Um, yeah. I mean, I say I was recently at Galway and the amount of people had just come over to say hello. Um, yeah. Genuinely, genuinely, not because Eugene Donnelly, the rally driver, but because Eugene Donnelly, the person, they were yeah, genuinely exactly. coming over and having, having yeah. a conversation about things other than rallying you know yeah you normally you, you know you do get the people who, oh you know you're great in the corolla and you're great when you won this mm-hmm. rally and that but it very quickly moves away from that the conversation yeah. usually yeah. moves very very quickly from the event to other day-to-day things or yeah. other happenings or yeah. you know maybe concerned about somebody they hear it wasn't well yeah. or you know some other um piece of information or so some other topic of conversation yeah which if you think about it, that's uh, that you know the sport has has brought me those type of people and those yeah. type of friends who have, have massively supported me through my life. It truly does, you know. It, that's that's the beautiful thing about this sport. And I think what event was it that you and I were on and we spoke last year? I think the Ulster maybe. And that's actually you know you and I were having a conversation about how I mean, it, rallying. It's the best thing in the world. But what's beautiful about it is that you know, there's so much more to it than just the driving. I mean, the driving's amazing, but like it's that sense of family and camaraderie. And I mean, you've mentioned the social side of it um, a few times and, you know, you've mentioned family and stuff. And I keep thinking back to like your early days in Drapertown, like that sense of community and family. Um, and that's, it sounds like that's kind of what you found in rallying, the thing that you had been missing from Drapertown when you came back in, to the, the the community feeling mm. of rally, and that's when everything kind of sat with you. Well, you know, going back to the the, the Driverstone situation, like we lived right beside my uncle um, and his family, and there was eleven of them, I think, and um, or sorry, nine of them. And you can imagine, I grew up with my cousins, and you know, there was other cousins of mine lived in the town and and, and around the area. So I was regularly seeing family. And then I had my friends from primary school and I was regularly seeing them. Because back in the days around Riverstown, even at five or six years of age, you know, there was no fear of getting abducted, a kid getting abducted. You could walk between your friends' yeah. houses. You could go for a ride on the bicycle down the street. You had that sort of community warmth and, and security. Um, and definitely when I moved to Mahara, I didn't have that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah to answer your question i i I think not consciously but subconsciously there was a thing there where i was just drawn towards the sport and drawn towards you know that whole um community spirit and that whole being a part of something um and when you went to events you know if you were you you could go to one event and meet four or five guys that was completing in front of you or behind you they ended up friends they ended up people you knew you go yeah. to the next event, maybe five or ten different guys, mm-hmm. and that just went on. And then you kept meeting yeah. them again at certain events, and that just went on till it just grew until a um, 
as you say, a connection with people who yeah. had a love for a sport that you had a love for. Yeah. So therefore, you yeah. had something in common. And, uh, you know, you ended up, we all know the social aspect of it. Like, And, and in the yeah. old days, you know, when I was rallying, we went to the rally as much for the crack the night before and the prize given afterwards as we did to go <laughs> rallying because... <laughs> I'm ashamed to say many a many a morning I was uh, kicked out of bed and had to get a box of anodin in me and try to get the heads through <laughs> after the night before to get into a rally car. <laughs> you wouldn't do it today. No. But um, I remember Matt Doherty, a past COC of Donegal Motor Club, I was doing the cat or Sligo rally, um, and the Sligo used to have, always have a great party. Um, <laughs> we were in the bar. Myself and, and my old co-driver, Roger Whiteside, were in the bar at half four or five o'clock in the morning. And I think somebody was up on top of a piano singing and the crack was just 90. And Matt came down the stairs and caught the two of us by the ears and walked us <laughs> up the stairs and into the room and effed ahead of us to get into bed and get some sleep because we were rallying the next day. Oh, stop. My um, God, I think that's it, a story and I think a half <laughs> well, there's a bit more to it than that too <laughs> but you know that that's the sort of thing that you know when I go, when I was going back home like I, I wouldn't have went out much do you know what yeah. I mean between the rallies I wouldn't have socialised a lot you know mm -hmm. um, and that's the sort of thing you looked forward to because you knew those nights were going to be brilliant yeah. and then yeah. you did the rally you had the adrenaline rush and if you got a result great if you didn't get a result it didn't really matter because everybody yeah. piled back in for the prize given yeah. And most, I, I don't know what it was about those days. People weren't as conscious about going home. If they went to a rally, they stayed over. Well, Sligo was always on a bank holiday, I think, anyway. Um, mm -hmm. Well, a bank holiday for the north. But um, a lot of the events, people just they didn't go home. Or locals, you know, supported it. Whereas yeah. you don't get that now. You know, you don't no. even hardly more the price givens now, you know. So I know. Um, that, that, that's the aspect of it that, I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed um, yeah. and never really thought about, uh, you know, any kind of success as being a, a making driving as a career or anything like that. I, yeah. I just worked hard, worked uh -huh. hard at the business, um, had plenty of rows with my brothers um, in how to do things and plenty of rows with Charlie and the money that we were spending going rallying. But um, you know, I, just, I always used to say, Charlie, should we have our whole life to pay for this thing? <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is what we love, you know. Yeah. And he would have yeah. been very, con he would have been very, very conscious about the financial side of it. Whereas I had the the, the blase attitude, you know, if I've got it in my pocket, I'll spend it on on yeah. motorsport, and you know, next week I'll make it. And yeah. I always had that attitude, and mm -hmm. you know, that stuck by me. Well, I've had a couple of, um, I've had a couple of uh, downturns, put it like that, in my financial career which is probably fairly well known too but the point about it is is that in them days when you were young it was the thing that i latched on to um to go and enjoy life and enjoy mm -hmm. as a young person and especially with the yeah. tragedies that we had and trying to put exactly. that behind us you know yeah and it's like i'd say with those tragedies you probably had you know there's probably a moment of of um realizing your own mortality um but with that you get this new lease on life where you think well you know this could be all over at any moment and it's all about enjoying life and having fun and feeling good and if you feel good 
you know, surrounded by people that you would consider family and you're having good crack before and after the events and you're enjoying every moment in the car. It just seems like a per perfect recipe for life, really. Well, as I said at the time, my brother died, you know, we should have all went and, and got some sort of therapy um, because mm. it was a huge tragedy, you know, from... Yeah. I'm not reluctant to talk about it, but at the end of the day, people don't want to know that stuff. Like at the end of the day, mm -hmm. um, it's it's just it's a part of you know these things happen in life and they happen to people, not to everybody, but you know it happens. And I suppose, like you know, my brother was buried on my twenty-first birthday, like the day I turned yeah. twenty-one. His funeral was, and you know, probably for ten years, I I really struggled with it, and the only release was getting into the car and going to those uh -huh. events. Um, whereas the other stuff was, you know, difficult. Um, you had to work and uh, had to work in a difficult enough environment and had to grow up very, very fast. Yeah. Um, and there was a point that, you know, I went to the States for a couple of years, um, probably in my early 20s. I went maybe when I was 22 or three for a couple of years. So I had no motorsport. And I have to admit, like, the States was tough, like, it was very, very yeah. difficult. I had a great job there, and, you know, that side of it was good, but, you know, I suppose the loneliness of it, and mm. it was different because, you know, you met some people there and had some friends there, but it was really, really difficult. It wasn't the same, yeah. and I couldn't satisfy that, um, that, that itch, and I could find nothing to, you know, ease the pain as such. Yeah. And when I come back out, when I come back out of America, I just put my head down and I said, right, okay. I bought the business off my dad and I said, right, I'm going to make a success of this. And I worked extremely hard at night and day, just knocked down the whole premises, rebuilt it all in the new mm -hmm. and built the thing up. Um, I remember we opened the garage and I opened the garage in September 93. It was a state of the art filling station with a you know, shop and um, yeah. you know, it was a workshop there and stuff. And it started to do well, and uh, I said, right, now that that's done, I'm going back rallying. And uh, I kind of started buying the cars, doing a rally with them and selling them. Yes. And that then brought me into the fraternity as well. Uh, and uh, Barry Den and me, Barry now is a very successful business. Him and I came together and we formed a wee business and a wee company. And I used to buy the cars, bring them in. Barry, he would work in the workshop, either we'd tart them up for sale or we'd split them up and brack them and sell off the parts and uh you know that then funded the rallying as well as the other yeah. business um and that's whenever you know i started to do pretty well you know i had a couple of escorts that did well and along came the famous g3 which started to get massive results with so you know from a, a mental point of view the you know them them 10 years um you know from my uh, i was 19 till i was 28 or 29 you know i was kind of a bit of no man's land um mm. bit of motorsport but not really um and it was only when i came back out of america and i said right get my head down here build this business up and uh you know get stuck into the sport that i love yeah and you know the the, the rally the, you know the rally sales side of things was I was totally to fund my own my own sport, um, yeah. and to be around those people, you know. And again, yeah, um, sold quite a few cars over the space of two or three years when I was doing that, 
Um, some of them went on to be very successful cars. <laughs> some of them turned out to not be so successful. <laughs> you can you can gain you can gain a lot of enemies <laughs> that way too because you don't know mm-hmm. what you're selling. Back then, it was a Mark II Escort, it was a Pinto engine in it, it was a wave box, but you couldn't tell what was in it, like or, or yeah. the emails they'd done or anything. So some of them didn't weren't so successful, and you know. Would it have been fifty-fifty? Probably fifty good cars were sold and fifty bad cars were sold. You know. Yeah. But um, at that, you know, that was a uh, was a great, you know, it was a great feeling being involved in the yeah. sport from that angle. You yeah. know. But yeah. it's different. Well, you mentioned, like you mentioned um, therapy there, and it's one of those things where mm. if what happened to you in those early days were to happen now, you would absolutely. You know, probably go down the therapy route, or it would certainly be suggested to you. Um, and like, honestly, I can vouch for therapy. I've been doing it for years, and it genuinely is life changing. And one of the things that I actually have realised through my own therapy journey is that um, rallying, funnily enough, it's probably sounds absolutely insane to say, but I had a, a very busy head. Like my mind just never stops i am always and i know everybody's the same to a certain extent but mine is just uh it just seems to be in you know incessant and you would kind of think the mayhem of a rally car or the you know the scariness of a rally car would sort of send that into overdrive but one of the things that i realized through therapy is that the only time that i had genuine peace in my life was when i was driving like a crazy um like a crazy Egypt down the roads as quick as I could because I had to be so present you couldn't think or worry about anything else because there was too much at stake and so it was one of those things where it sounds mad but it's you know it's genuinely where I had so much solace um and peace from my yeah, mind can, and my worries I yeah I can I can relate to that all right like, yeah um, and it's very hard for a lay person or anybody that has not competed in a rally car, it's very, very difficult for them to understand that. Yeah. It's like I say, your man standing on the side of the road in Galway the other day, and his, his other point was when he gets in and puts the helmet on, all them worries are gone. Yeah. That's his therapy. And there's not a thing in his head yeah. only. Drive that car to the best of his ability, yeah. listen to his face notes, and enjoy yeah. the spin. Like, sit back yeah, and enjoy and- it. That's exactly it. Like that is a therapy. And back in the eighties, I mean, I'm I'm very lucky in in the time that I grew up that I was kind of able to just whatever you know whatever stigma is attached to therapy, I was able to just put that aside. And it was very little, I suppose. Um, you know, whenever I started, but I would imagine back in the eighties, it wasn't the done thing. But you had to find a therapeutic outlet somewhere. Well, I, th- that was exactly my, my next point. Like, if you if you went to, um, if you went, and, you know, seek therapy um, or went to the shrink, as they called them, or you know, people said you were mad or you were, you know, why well, your man's not wise in the head or he's he's screwed up, like you know. Yeah. So there was a bit of stigma to that, all right. But I suppose you know, later in life, I always quote the the, the um, the one from the line from Crocodile Dundee, you know, and your woman says, you know, do you not have shrinks or, you know, psychiatrists in Australia? And your man's the Crocodile Dundee turns around and he says, no, you tell Wally. Wally tells everybody else and you have no more problem, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Mick and you I what he was talking about. Lot, like, you know? Yeah. 
I've used that in a lot. Um, but look, you know, everybody's, I suppose his, his life has changed, you know, um, and the stigma of things have, have changed. Um, I think, you know, seeking help um, is now, you know, it's now the norm. Yeah. Uh, back in those days, it wasn't the norm. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I never really felt, I, I don't know why, I, I, I can't explain it. I, could, I couldn't say that I, if somebody had said to me, oh, you need to go to therapy, I would have went. But it never was really suggested that, that I can remember that I was yeah. you know, forced to it do just, it. Yeah, or it wouldn't here, have been you the need norm. To go. No, um, but I'm sure, I do know that it was mentioned. And I do know that, uh, you know, I always think to myself, no, I don't want that, I don't want that on me medical record you know that yeah, I, I, yeah. I seek help all that sort of thing I do remember thinking about that but um you know it's come back to your point the the therapy of uh motorsport is is it's just it's like lads playing football like it's like lads yeah. playing, you know uh, you know anybody playing any sport they, they seek mm -hmm. a, a sanctuary in it i'll tell yeah. you a good one um back in 2005 and it was the Galway rally that I've just recently was at brought this up. Um, one of the stages that we did in 2005 was done there on the recent rally. And mm -hmm. I recognized it instantly as I pulled up to do the recce. I went, holy shit, this stage was ran in 2005. And we were fortunately leading the rally. Um, and Paul Kelly and myself, as you know, or as anybody who follows the sport, him and I have been great friends before we ever rallied together. We were mm -hmm. really good friends. Met through rally, but we never we never connected as a team at later in years, you know. Uh -huh. But we pulled up to the start of this stage and we were leading the rally and it was the second day and it was a nice crisp winter morning with the sun shining and uh, there was a delay at the start of the stage. We were sitting inside the car, we were in the Corolla and it was lovely and warm and the car was just sitting idling and uh might have been 8 30 or 9 o'clock in the morning and i just put my head back and the helmet and all on balaclava suit all done up belts all on and i put my head back on the back of the seat of the car and it just felt so cozy and so just at home and no thought about what anything else was going on around me and i closed my eyes and i fell fast asleep and i mean fast asleep to the point that whenever we were ready to go he had to nudge me he had a waking me and he says are you sleeping and i said jeez where am i and then i realized and hell start line of the second day at the golf international rally and uh he he just looked at me and he goes flipping hell how did you do that now since that i've discovered that he's found the power of doing it because a particular driver that he has been sitting with recently told me that on a road section he fell asleep. So <laughs> there's, been ideal. there's been something I've taught him. <laughs> I know, but it just goes to but, show um, you the comfort in the car. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and that feeling as of I said hope. earlier, I was in the car with, with uh, Liam Egan and, and we did Galway Rally recently and I, I was just saying to him how comfortable we, we put new seats in the car for this year and stuff. And, I just oh how comfortable the car is to sit in and the seat snug mm -hmm. and you know you just feel at home in the thing and you just feel there's a yeah. whole world outside there and I'm in here and it doesn't matter about it like you know <laughs> yeah it feels it like might home. sound 
it might sound stupid, but and people might not believe me, but trust me, inside that thing, when you're so comfortable like that, there's no, there's no feeling like it. No. no, I completely understand it. Like it just, it's that, it's just, it's like a wee safety blanket or bubble that. Um, although now there's an awful mm. lot of nerves can be flying around in there too, but there's just something about it where you feel like you're home. Mm. Yeah. And well, with all I mean, that, Eugene, like when you, um, when you think about. Like when I think about your career, um, like I was only born in the eighties. So, and when I was starting rallying, you were obviously like absolutely flying at that point and really coming into those big years in your in your sort of driving career. But like for for so many years, you had such peace and such um, you know such a beautiful sense of home and family and stuff within the rally and community and even within the rally car like how did you then go from that to what i would imagine was widely pressurized in those kind of um early noughties um and when the major uh, success and sort of all those wins were coming your way like did it change for you at all at that point and oh, certainly i mean well, certainly, you know, it's, it's it's unprecedented success that I never believed that I, I could achieve. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as I said, I, I never, like, sure, like, I won a few small events, like localized club events. I'd won Monaghan stages in 89, I think it was, which was massive. Like, that was a huge event to win. Yeah. But I won it kind of by default um, because I think Vincent Bonner was doing the rally and, um, I can't remember who else. I think there was so one other, one or two other big names, and they all, they all broke down or crashed out. And it was an awful wet day. I was in the right car, and you know my times would have been good. I probably would have been fifth or sixth anyway. But a big part of the field had fell out, and I the, the rally came to me, and I won it. Mm -hmm. But that success, you know, you never think, oh, I can go on to win. Northern Ireland Championship or I can go on to win the Forestry Championship or you know any of these types of things so I said you know in, in whatever year it was 98 or 97 98 I said you know I'd really love to win you know the Border Championship or win the class in the Border Championship yeah and that was the first step you know a class was achievable um, yeah. and I knew most of the guys like you know there was Niall Maguire and people like that there and I knew oh, a bunch of good drivers but I had always this wee thing in my head oh I could maybe beat them you know and <laughs> sure enough that's that's where I set my first goal but much more after that there no I didn't I didn't never never thought about it never thought that it could ever get to any kind of success that, that, that I had um, and you know behind the scene you know there was obviously the businesses and the family and Mm -hmm. You know, I had I got married and I had a couple of kids and, you know, all of that stuff was going on. And then yeah. as you get a bit older, you get conscious about the dangers as well. And there was a couple of tragedies, um, a couple of lads got you know, a couple of fatalities in sport. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're thinking about that, but it goes back to the same thing. You get into the car and when you're in the car, that just goes out the window. The risk of the yeah. fear factor. The nerves is obviously there because I think being nervous at the start of a rally is a good thing. 
because yeah. it leaves you that you you know you're not being wild like you know you, you know that there's a risk involved in it. yeah um and you no know, those type of things you, you kind of when you got in the car you left everything your troubles behind you um, mm -hmm. and as i say I had, I had two young kids whenever i started driving that g3 and you know that was the early early night or late 90s and when yeah. i came on until buying the first four-wheel drive car and it really then you know it started to get serious and yeah for whatever reason i had i had was in a really good place in 99 2000 2001 um you know i had sold i sold off the business did very well out of that i had started another business and it was doing extremely well and i just got myself into a really good position um mm -hmm. and i had a nice home and you know the family was well provided for and i just got into a really good position that i said right okay you know i won a border championship maybe i could win the border championship outright then yeah. the next stepping stone was you know a national forestry championship or the northern Ireland championship and these were the the goals that i had set myself and you know i was fortunate enough that um you know i had, I had the businesses that i had were fit to fund that and i had good sponsorship at the time and that started to grow um, yeah and that brought you into a, a place of comfort that you, you know you you you're really really comfortable doing what you were doing and there was no real stress um financially which was the key yeah. part of it because you know we're all we're all driven by by our finances um and outside of that there you know family life i would say it wasn't um it was like my kids and everything was brilliant like but the sport was definitely taking a bit of a toll um on my marriage but also on you know my family with my mom and my dad and you know, the rest of the my, my siblings you know i wouldn't be seeing them yeah. as much and Mm -hmm. you know i was oh i'm away rallying rally 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 you know yeah in fairness you know charlie and i are very close and he would have attended a lot of events with me and i would have went with him to rally so that yeah. bond and that that uh you know that brotherly thing really really cemented itself through those years yeah. um and while i think you know i don't think charlie was ever envious or jealous of me but i'm sure he looked at me and going you know i i would love to have the carefree spirit that he has yes. the way off rallying but charlie didn't realize what was going on in the background i was like a duck on water you know behind yeah. the scenes i'd be yeah. paddling you know and you know you come home from a rally on a sunday night monday morning bang i was away at work like and i was mm -hmm. paddling like billy old to you know do well enough provide for everybody and make sure everything was paid and get the money for the next rally you know yeah exactly and i mean that that is just such an intense you know what you're after describing there it's it's such an intense amount of pressure and at that point did the the joy of rallying leave you at all or was that was the rallying like still your only place of solace well like i explained earlier there was the uh social aspect of it and through mm -hmm. those years with you know through 88 or sorry 98 99 2000 with you know with the g3 and with you know i had a bda escort which i did the force and and you know i had i think i bought the sleek around 2001 but my other best friend was was glenn allen so glenn mm -hmm. and i would have went to a lot of events together and we would have partied a lot 
and yeah. we would have had a massive social life um, outside of the events, um, and that you know that was a trigger that you know kept me going back to events. Like if Len was yeah. going to do an event at that time, and I wasn't doing it, I would have went with them, not yeah. because of the rally or to watch the rally. I had no interest in looking at the rally. As a matter of fact, watching the rally to me is like watching paint dry standing in the ditch. Like I, I just would have no real interest in it. I, uh-huh. I enjoy watching enjoy watching it on Facebook or on TV or whatever, but no real interest in standing in the ditch watching the car mm-hmm. go, roo, roo. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's not for me. But um, you know, those years, uh, we we just had so much crack, like we had so uh-huh. much fun. Uh-huh. Um, but then it started to get serious around two thousand and one when I decided to make a play, you know, for the for the forestry championship and. That's where Paul Nagel and I teamed up, um, mm-hmm. and I think we came second. I think we came second in it in two thousand and one. I think it was two thousand and two. We won the forestry championship, um, and again, that started changing things massively because Philip Moynan of Years Motorsport. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to get to know Philip very well, and Philip and David became very, very good friends, but massive supporters of what i was doing by kumo through kumo tires yes um, yeah and that was the first that was the first you know that was really the first any kind of financial support and any kind of big way um came from those guys and yeah we we started helping them develop the tire and you know they got us support through kumo um and we went to we went on and won the forestry championship as i say the northern Ireland championship and uh, eventually the um, 2003 National Championship. And we had some success in, uh, with some success in the international uh, rallies as well, you know, in the Tarmac Championship. Um, I think we finished second in Donegal in 2003 on Kumo tires, and that rally yeah. would not have happened without Philip Moynihan. Um, yeah. And again, I think we went to Jim Clark that year, and we finished fourth or fifth. Um, we had been leading the or we had been second or third in the circuit of Ireland, and I crashed the car out. Um, and you know there was a there was a lot of momentum getting behind it. And you know, as I say, Philip was there. There was several other people then started to get involved um, and seen a bit of potential with me. And then that brought a seriousness to it. And that's yeah. when you had to go right. Shit, the partying has to stop. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to, if I want to achieve this, or, you know, is there an ambition in me to achieve it? Mm-hmm. And I think by the fact that we finished second in Donegal with no real ambitions to go after a tarmac championship, yeah. we had finished, whatever, fourth or fifth in Jim Clark. We went then and did, uh, at the end of 2003, we did the Galway West Rally in a, in a hired uh, Subaru um, of Stan Harper, and we won that rally. And that was really the cement and home shit I, I there's a possibility i could be good yeah. enough to compete with the guys at, at the top level of the sport and is the, was that your light bulb moment eugene because yeah, if you remember was, earlier yeah. on you were saying you didn't really have one but in terms of it going seriously then and kind of taking you know thinking taking yourself seriously and thinking god i could actually do something here i could really get behind myself and, and achieve something here well i think it was i think it was philip Moynan and Paul Kelly and Charlie and Derek McGeehan. They they were the people that um instilled 
the idea, installed the idea, and they didn't say it outright, like, but they all were, you know, dropping subtle hints, and maybe they didn't yeah. even realize they were doing that, like. I know. But that kind of, if there was ever a light bulb moment, that was it. But yeah, I I still went ahead and you know purchased the Corolla in two thousand late two thousand and three for the start of the two thousand and four championship, and like, and I was in a good position. Um, financially fit to do that. Um, no, I was. I struggled to run the car, but I knew that the momentum was there to get the sponsorship to do that, which mm-hmm. we did. But did I think I would go out and and be as successful as I I was? No, I hope. Like. I thought if we went round in championship year one and finished in the top five, that'd be a great achievement. And maybe mm-hmm. got a couple of good results, maybe a couple of podiums that year. I thought that's that's as much as I'm going to get out of this, but. The, the real thing was we had invested a lot of money in it. Everybody was behind it. There was a team now starting to be built around it. And that team then, I felt, you know, I was I was the controller of it. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I had to do my best and not let them down. And yeah. that's why all, all the socializing around the events had to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, barring the prize givings at the end of every yeah. event was always a big thing, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the parties leading up to it, the parties during <laughs> That all had to stop. No um, more Matt Darty pulling you by the ear. No, no, it <laughs> all had to stop. But yeah, that's that's as I say. If there was ever a light bulb moment, that's when it happened. That uh, you know, I had to say, right, okay, I have to take this serious. And again, Paul was was a fantastic support. Um, no, it's only in recent years him and I would have talked about it, and I didn't realize. You know, he he was apprehensive. Like, you know, it wasn't just straightforward for him. Yeah. Like, he was carrying a lot on his shoulders. But he came across to me yeah. as oh, he he was the man in control, not me. He knew what yeah. to say. He knew, you know, he organized everything. I kind of just turned up, like you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, and it was whenever we were talking about, you know, as I say, years later, you know, the vulnerability of of where he was at. Uh, has only been coming yeah. to light, like, and as he had a he had a big job, like, um, and then when we started yeah. to, you know, we started to get results. Well, that was a bit mind blowing, and you know, I'm, I'm sure people, uh, and I know now looking back at it, what effect that had me. That freaking blew my head up, like you know. <laughs> sorry for my language, uh-huh. but you know, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm not afraid to say it. I got big headed, like I was going around yeah. flipping hell, like in one rallies, like you know. Oh sure, I'm the best, and I'm the bee's knees, like you know. And you can't not be, you can't not be affected by you know big results, like and beating, you know, yeah. beating the best in the game, like you know, you beat. Yeah. The guy won Killarney in uh, two thousand and three, and you know we we beat a serious field of cars, like and yeah. going into the last two stages, I was up against the five-time champion at the time, Austin McHale. And the main games yeah. were flat out, even though we weren't even talking to each other. But your mind was running away with you. Here, I could won Killarney. Yeah. And he went off exactly. in the second and last stage, and I cruised home. Got out and sprayed the champagne and had a massive party. But driving up the road from Killarney that, that following day, I mean, the head was here. Like, you know, <laughs> I it, can only it, imagine. <laughs> but it does affect you. Like, and there's no point in saying it doesn't. Like, yeah. You know? um, do you think that made so, you I mean, a better driver, though, or did it affect your driving? You know, do you think, sometimes do you think, like, 
you know, people that are competing at the highest level in their sport need a huge ego to kind of keep them there? Or do you think at some stage you will have to humble yourself if you want to stay there? I think that, uh, I think my natural thoughts about it, um, my aspirations was never too big. And I think that's what kept my feet on the ground as far as, you know, being motivated and as far as getting into the zone. My aspirations never yeah. was, I don't think I ever went to a rally and said, I have to win this rally. I don't think, as a matter of fact, yeah. I know I never did that. Um, maybe other people in the team said, oh, we're here to win, but Eugene Donnelly never said that. Now, when you'd be maybe yeah. interviewed or something like, oh, you're going to win this weekend. Aye, 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 right, right. But that wasn't coming from aye. my head. That was just coming from the goblet, you know, um, and satisfying yeah. somebody who was, you know, having the crack with you. But not in my yeah. head that I ever go to a rally and say, we have to win this. Paul and I had a very good relationship. It was, it was unspoken things. You know, we didn't have to talk about things. We go, we do the recce. Um, and there's times I could say we didn't put enough effort into our recce's. And therefore we were punished on the mm -hmm. rally because the result didn't come. Yeah. But there was times we went to an mm -hmm. event and I knew we need to do a really good recce here. We need to put the hours into this. We need to put the work into it. And Paul would know, he would just sense it for me. Uh, he's, he's on a bit of a mission here and he would just go with it. And those were the events that we, we always did very, very well on. Um, but my mindset was never, uh, I, I need to achieve this or I need to win this. And it was never about Oh, you know, I'm going to want to tie my championship. Um, uh -huh. At the beginning, the aspirations weren't that great, but when I won it once, mm, I said, right, okay. And if you remember, I won it through, again, controversial circumstances, um, which really was a bit of a main, main job. But um, yeah, when you won it once, then you, you, you get your head and you say, oh, maybe I could do this again, you know? Uh-huh. And at that point, is that what kind of keeps driving you? Not anybody else, but your literal competition of your own mind kind of saying, because uh, you, you know the way, like, you can do something once and your mind can jump in and say, ah, that was a fluke or ah, you got lucky or, you know, but when you can do it consistently, mm -hmm. that's when you start to believe in yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, you're, you're right. But what did I say to you at the start? This game is an addiction. It's it's yeah. it's a it's a drug like. So when yeah. you get you know one of the biggest accolades, you the euphoria from that there, the standing up and receiving that trophy and feeling you know the accolades and you know the people supporting you and people genuinely yeah. genuinely delighted for you, and you can see it like you yeah. can see it in people's eyes. Like, yeah. you can feel it. You can feel that aura like you know. Um, yeah it's a drug it's absolutely 100 percent. Yeah. it's a drug and it's addictive um and, and do you think that's, that's the addiction the then that kept you going yeah so absolutely. that's yeah yeah once i won the first um, one there was no there was no going back now. and it is just that again like to me i don't know why but it, it's just coming back into my mind is that it's that like this lovely image of kind of like you know, you mentioned the, the, the people being delighted for you and there's just a feeling and a, and a, a strong aura around the whole thing. And again, it just kind of, it feels like that. Um, it feels like that sense of family and that sense of joy that you would have had in your early days back in Draper's Town. Like, and I wonder, is that, is it that feeling that just always kept you 
you know, sort of, was that your anchor or was that your, you know, your true Yeah, voice? well, again, it's different for everybody. Some, some people are driven very much by being competitive and, you know, they're competitive spirits. And I think in my case, it wasn't so much about my competitiveness. It was a, more about my a release or something else to replace yeah. some of the bad memories and some of the bad things that, that uh, I, I had went through in my life. Um, and like, I'm a great believer in yin and yang. Um, <laughs> some is very good friend of mine at the moment. And uh, I'm, I'm saying this to them all the time. To have the good times, you have to have the bad ones. And uh, yeah. I look back at it and I, I know that, you know, I, I had the yin and I had the really, really bad times, like probably, you know, as bad as anybody could experience. And, but I had some of the most euphoric um, moments through the sport and mm -hmm. through the wins yeah. that I had. And, you know, going from that first championship, which ended very, very controversial. And, you know, my personal life was dragged into that. Um, I think, I actually don't know, like for anybody who's listening, the, the brief on it is the, on the last round of the championship, you know, we were sabotaged and crashed out of the rally. Um, mm -hmm. There was material put on the road to make the car crash off the road and very lucky none of the two of us was hurt myself or Paul. And I, 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 I still can't, I can't level with that. Like, I, was it a fellow yeah. competitor? Was it something else outside of motorsport? I don't know. Like, all sorts of conspiracy theories were floating about, but nobody yeah. ever got to the bottom of it. Um, and I had to live with that and I had to say, well, you know, the police, there was a big investigation done. They couldn't get mm -hmm. to the bottom of it. There was a load of people interviewed. Nobody had any sort of indication or evidence why somebody would go to a remote place, plant material on the ground after the previous car had gone through uh -huh. so that I would come along, hit the material and crash the car. Like this happened. And how did that make you not lose trust in the sport and everything to do with it? You know, because it automatically, I would think that that would take away my feeling of safety that you had had for so many years within the sport and within the rally car. Well, you no, know, there was some battle went on in my head from that happened at the end of October. I was sorry, at the beginning of October in 2004, uh, the first rally again was the beginning of February. So you were talking four months between that particular event happening and me getting back into a car. And I can tell you those four months were extremely difficult. Extremely mm -hmm. difficult because we didn't know why it happened. Extremely mm -hmm. difficult because we'd won a championship, but because of the controversial circumstances, um, the way that the powers to be, and I think my team had, had something to do with it, um, it was decided the rally would be cut short till the previous control, which meant the rally was actually being won by me, and I would have then won okay. that particular championship outright. But it was felt um, unanimously, unanimously, it was felt that because Derek McGarty was leading the rally, or would have, sorry, would have won the rally if the results had stood with my accident, and me going out of the rally, he would have won the championship. So by cutting the rally short, I won the rally, and I'm I'm listed as the rally winner in 2004. Um, but it was decided that the championship would be shared because the of the unprecedented events, and because you know nobody could get to the bottom of it. 
um, and it was decided well, you know, the championship would be split. Um, so there was no, you know, there was no um, protest against the result of the rally, and there was no protest against the results of the championship, and everything moved forward. But the other big thing about it was at the time. The sport was in a great place, like it was getting great momentum. Mm. The viewing figures from the RPM programs were just through the roof. It was getting great press, um, media, you know, in, in the printed press. Um, and it was really starting, you know, motorsport was really starting to get second wind again because mm -hmm. it was very popular through the 70s and 80s. And then it had to go like dive in the 90s. You know, Tarmac Championship brilliant did. Um, yeah. And then. You know, I had a couple of conversations with people that were very influential in the sport and the different organizations, and they were explaining if this particular issue is really highlighted, we could have a huge problem here with the sport. And the huge problem would be is that this has highlighted um, a risk, a massive risk factor that individuals can actually place stuff on the road quite easily and cause very, very serious accidents. Mm -hmm. So those are the type of conversations that we're going about from the sport point of view. But from my mental point of view, I said very little. Um, I kind of probably went into myself a bit and mm -hmm. I was really struggling. But for the team, the guys fixed the car. Um, you know, well, I fixed the car. I had the insurance paid part of it and I had to pay a part of it. Um, and that was controversial as well to get the car fixed. But anyway, we did that and you know, I said to Paul, look, we'll, we'll go to Galway in 2005 and let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. But I went and did the recce and I only told, told Paul this recently. Like I very, very nearly pulled out at the last minute. I very nearly said, this is too much for me. I don't oh, know how I'm going to react. I don't know when I, I'm going to be thinking every corner I go around, is there going to be a block of timber and a load of, load of blocks on the road? Like, Because um, mm. it was a block of timber with nails in it. That's what right. caused the accident, of course, you know. Uh -huh. And I, I just struggled and struggled. And then I just said, no, shit, I have to start the rally. So sitting on the start line in, in Galway 2005, was, it was very difficult to get there. But again, whenever I took off, got the first stage over, it was okay. Went into the second stage. I don't remember the times, but I know that we were on the pace fairly quickly and just all went away. Everything yeah. in the past just went away. Um, there was no fear. There was no, oh, what's, what if this happens, that happens. It just completely dissolved the minute that sense of I got into that zone. Came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I got into that zone, it was gone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, did it bother me afterwards? Of course it did. It always was in the back of my mind, but never when I was sitting in the rally car. Mm -hmm. Never. And it was just that <laughs> sense again, thing. that sense of, yeah, that is the strangest thing because it's that sense of, it's total madness really when you think about it because anything could happen and literally lives are at risk. But it's also that beautiful, I don't, you know, that uh, maybe it's the addiction that you mentioned. Um, personally, I, I genuinely do feel that there's just a gorgeous sense of um, presence. It's the, you know, people mention adrenaline um, and, and high adrenaline sports um, and how, you know, there is a psychological kind of impact on it because it's the most present you'll ever be. Like, it, you know, you, 
basically you would sort of think the people that do these things are mad but actually what they're doing is they're finding the deepest sense of peace that you possibly can because you can't be anywhere else you have to be in that moment um or it can get very dangerous yeah <laughs> i i remember um back in the days when i was driving a mark ii escort a bda escort in the forest and paul nagel was sitting with me and i remember us going to forestry rallies and just going into this zone and I always said that car, it had a uniqueness that you could drive it through the eye of a needle, but you could only master that if everything was in sync. And I remember Paul, and it shows how great he was back then. He went, he's, you know, he's always got all yeah. massive success yeah. and he's just retired. But I remember him being fit to read the pace notes as if they were read a thousand times to me. And the way he was fit to actually do that, it just came across that we'd been down this road a thousand times. And we never would have seen the piece of road, but it was the car, you know, the connection that we had and just the zone that I had got in. Yeah. And, you know, that was very unique because of, you know, the type of events that there was no recce on, you, you had no yeah. practice on them. So you were just jumping in the car, playing road, set a pace notes, the man beside you were mm -hmm. reading them. But when it came to Paul, uh, Kelly and, and myself in the, in the later years of success, um, big success. Um, it was more, you know, we, we put a lot of work and effort into the preparation before the events. And while on the event then, it was just second nature. It was just, you know, you just came along and it just happened because you'd put all that effort and all that work into it. So that zone and out thing, you know, it never, you know, it never really you were conscious of it all the time, you know, not like the early days that you mm -hmm. just drive the car through the day and evening. You were conscious the whole time of what you were doing. Yeah. And it's like you, you, your bar was lifted a level. And like you just got into a place where you were, in, you know, you, you just nothing could touch you. And I remember yeah. us having big, big, big moments, like massive moments yeah. at 100 mile an hour where the cars maybe stepped out or maybe I've overcooked it a bit. And, you know, your automatic reactions is, to steer it out of it and recover the car mm -hmm. and you know I, I just had the ability to do that second nature and yeah they never bothered us you know you get to the end of the stage and half the time we never even spoke about it yeah but you you know maybe at the end of the rally or paul and i be chatting or the onboard would be pr produced or published oh cheers dad you remember that moment <laughs> <laughs> that was a close one you know <laughs> you know <laughs> Uh, at the time it was just second nature you know i know it was just yeah. the, the mind's real, an interesting real. thing the way it will just delete those moments that it just does not want you to remember no <laughs> and eugene we speak we've spoken so much um about the you know your sense of um i suppose family and the social life and and basically how rallying is such a community and, and there's such a beautiful camaraderie in it and you know when you stopped competing like how did you how have you been able to fill that um i suppose that void in your life um well look as as i said the yin and yang i'm a great believer in it um every good thing there's a bad thing um yeah. and on very unfortunately i got badly struck down in 2009 10 with the financial downturn and i got into financial difficulty and you know, I'm embarrassed to talk about it, but it happened. Um, 
and you know there was a couple of reports widely publicized about difficulties that i've got into um and to be quite honest the most difficult part of the success is the the you know the community turning on you or people turning on you and i said mm -hmm. this recently to somebody you can't get everybody to like you and mm. it's only as you get older you realize that and yeah. i remember having a conversation way back way back like when i won the first championship from another competitor who was very successful as well um and he him and i sat down and had a conversation and he says to me eugene he said i'm going to tell you he said you see now where you're at and you've won your first championship and you've had all this success and everybody's behind you you're on the way up and he says when you're up there they will love you and everybody's behind you he says see once you start to falter and you're on the way back down again they'll tramp you into the ground yeah. and he says 50 percent of people will like you 50 percent don't that's that's nature that's just yeah. who we are everybody you meet either instinctively like them or you don't it's as mm -hmm. simple as that and there's not a human being in this world i think likes everybody um i i personally i don't know i don't hold grudges and i don't do revenge or anything they got there um i'm a very neutral sort of a character but yeah. you know i'm like everybody else as people will say oh, i'm not dying about your man you know yeah. but in my particular scenario this is where the yin and yang really hit because mm -hmm. when I was on the way back down again, um, you know, the stories that, you know, the stories that were put out about me and some of the things that were said about me and some of the things that were made up about me, ah, that was extremely difficult. Like that mm -hmm. put me in a really bad place. Like, and, you know, whatever 2010, 11, ah, geez, like I tell you, I, I, I went through as tough a years as, as I ever, through you know even with the yeah. tragedies in my younger life mm -hmm. and you know i kind of went through a bit of no man's land um i was working for different companies and you know i was self-employed my whole life <clears throat> had my own businesses and it's very hard to go and work for somebody mm. and i found that i, I kind of found a bit of a, a peacefulness in it in one sense because you know there was no pressure in managing people and there was no pressure on the payroll every week or there's no mm -hmm. pressure in making the business work you just did your work and whatever it was nine to five or whatever and you know you got your day's pay and uh, like i always had interests in other businesses that i had put a bit of investment into and stuff like that but yeah. never never really got involved in it um and i tidded along like that there but of no man's land for a few years and that was that was the downers that was mm -hmm. the rock bottom you know uh -huh. um, and it was only in probably 2016, 17 that I started to realize, no, I need to, I need to go back to the person I was and I need to go mm -hmm. back to my roots and who I actually am. Um, yeah. And to try and find, uh, you know, find the, how would I put it, try and find the strength because I was quite a bit older, like, you know, you're talking, I suppose, seven eight years ago i was yeah. in my late 40s you know i'm not as you're not as you don't have the same uh, you know you don't have the same drive you don't have the same energy yeah but i i had to pick myself up and say right i need to go on and develop my own business again and i was you know i i was quite successful at consultancy work um with different businesses and 
I turned that into a good business where I had several companies on my books. And mm -hmm. then I went on ahead to buy a couple of companies and get myself into a better position that uh, I started controlling my own life again. And it's funny, going back to the success, whenever the success was there, everybody was there and wanted a piece of it. And everybody wanted to financially support you. Everybody wanted to do things for you. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. You know, we all like success. And I, yeah. I, you know, I don't have any qualms about that there. But it's the old saying, you know, when you're up there and you have everything, everybody's your friend. See when you're down mm -hmm. and your arse is on the ground. There's not too many of them there long knocking on the door to pick you up, like, you know, or to say, yeah. hey, come on, yeah, give you an old hand out here, you know, or yeah. do you need a chat? Or That's probably where the therapy could have been doing with kicking in, you know? Yeah. Um, because I, I was in a very, very, very bad place around 2010, 11, 12, 13. Uh -huh. Like, I wasn't in a good place, like, you know? Uh -huh. So, and how did you the get sport through that? Great, I just kept my head down and yeah. every day brought us challenges. Um, and I suppose I, I didn't think too far ahead. I didn't yeah. think about what was in the future. Uh -huh. um, was it the yin and yang thing like again, I, where you knew mm. that there's always good, but there's always bad, but there's always good again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I knew that I'd had to turn. Um, yeah. But to be fair now, um, I was in a very lonely place and I have a couple of very good friends that, you know, I would chat to maybe, I can make, you know, my two good friends, I, I would maybe only talk to them half a dozen times a year, but, you know, we would visit each other and uh, just two good, real good, solid people that you can bounce things off if you have a bad day, you know. Yeah. But I, I was trying, I was trying very, very, very hard with the businesses that I was involved in, the companies I was working for, I was trying really hard and probably trying too hard um, and you know it just it just it didn't gel like it just didn't mm -hmm. gel and to go from where you were your own person you were in control of your own destiny you were in control of your family and you were in control of everything around you um, to actually relying on someone to pay your wages to pay the bills to keep the roof over your head and support your family um, that that was a low point like that was a real yeah. low point like you know uh -huh. um i'm sure you can imagine like you know you, you, you were at the highest of highs and yeah uh, and you're at the lowest of lows like um and um look it, it, i looking back at it now uh, how did i get through it i don't i genuinely don't know like, i just put my head down and i just kept working day to day, day till i got myself back to the point where right i'm you know i have to take control of this and myself you know Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you just as I was cutting across you there, you were saying that you did a few rallies again. Did that get you back to the basics, the pure basics of enjoying the sport with your people and with the speed of the car beneath you? Well, it's funny. You know, the team, the team that, you know, had all the success, um, you know, myself and Paul and Charlie, um, the McGeehan Motorsport guys, Philip Moynan and Ears Motorsport. You know, that was the package, like, and that was the mm -hmm. package that worked. Um, any rallying I did after that there, I had no real success with it. Um, I went out with Derek's Mini, and, you know, I did Galway three or four times, I finished second, maybe twice, and 
crashed it once. Um, but I had no success after that. Like I've done a few mm -hmm. rallies and there was small glimmers of, you know, there was small glimmers that, you know, there was, the speed was still there, mm -hmm. but the team wasn't there. And yeah. when the team's not with you, you know, outside of the car, that team is worth a second or two a mile. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's difficult for anybody to understand. But if you have that support and that aura around you, and you know it's second nature. You get into the car and you don't have to think about anything. Mm -hmm. I was getting into the car and hiring it from Derek, and worrying about insurance and worrying about crashing it, and worrying about if it did crash, where the money was going to come out to fix it, and all those sorts of things. Um, and therefore, you know, your mind was not at ease. Like, um, mm -hmm. and it was never, you know, I, I, you never had that second the mile outside of the car. Yeah. So you know. I, I probably should have never go back into the car again at those days. Like, uh, you know, mm. it just was, it was probably trying to live the dream again and it didn't work, uh -huh. you know. I know. And so, That'll Eugene, now, awesome. what it's, keeps you know. Eugene happy now? Or what keeps you driven or what keeps you focused and moving forward? Well, <laughs> I, um, you know, I met somebody back 10 years ago and, uh, you know, we have a great life together. Um, I, going holidays a lot more than I used to. Um, I have, uh, I think we were in holidays three times last year. Um, I have three holidays I'm going on this year. Um, you know, I enjoy the family a lot more, um, but I'm still involved in the sport. Um, yeah. You know, we, we got involved with a tire company, um, which, you know, I did a lot of development work with them back in 2018 and 19. Um, mm -hmm. I got involved with Hyundai Motorsport. Um, mm -hmm. I was, it was, I instigated the whole motorsport Hyundai program by introducing Motorsport Ireland to Hyundai Motorsport back in 2018. And that's uh -huh. kind of where they, well, the academy was growing anyway, but I got them hooked up with Hyundai at that time. Uh -huh. um, and then PCRS went on to take on, you know, well, it's not really an agency, but to grow their relationship yeah. with Hyundai. Um, so I enjoyed that and I was involved in mm -hmm. that. And as I say, I was involved with the tire company, um, MRF Tires, and they were starting to come into the European market. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to uh, be very good friends with the European importer. And him and I, I don't know how it came about, but him and I got chatting and he says, will you do a bit of work with us? And will you help support the tire and develop the tire? And will you not take the agency on for Ireland? And I says, right, okay, I will. Um, and I didn't really want to because it's not my thing, but anyway, of that. Um, and then in 2019, I got involved with um, Mellers, uh, Mellers Elliott Motorsport, who were uh, developing uh, a Proton R5 car. And yeah. uh, I ended up doing a deal for one of those. Um, they're the only homologated right-hand drive car in the world, homologated um, R5 car in the world. Mm -hmm. And got involved yeah. in that, thinking that that would be a big plus. Um, so did a few rallies with the car. The car was still quite underdeveloped at the time and did a few rallies with the tire. Um, and that started to, you know, that started to jail a bit. Charlie was yeah. getting involved again. Um, John McElhenney was a good friend. He was sitting in with me. And, you know, we were starting to get a bit of momentum in it. And then COVID hit. Um, uh -huh. And I don't know, I'd, I'd done four or five rallies with the wee car. COVID hit and uh, that was it. Everything was shut down Two thousand. Mm -hmm. 2001 and kind of last year was really it started to come back again 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, during COVID, I was busy with a couple of companies that I was involved with. Um, so I poured myself into the work where everybody else had to sit at home. I was very fortunate that I had um, yeah. the businesses to turn to. And, um, you know, they've done very well over the last few years. So um, that's what's keeping me busy. Uh, that yeah. was kept me busy then and it's keeping me busy now. Um, but I'm still dabbling about at the sport. Um, I enjoy the challenge of developing the tyre and making the tyre work, um, which I'm uh -huh. confident uh, we will, by the end of this year, we will have people using the tyre that will be successful on it. And that's mm -hmm. as good as me. That's as good as me being successful, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. the way I see it. And, uh, you know, I've been involved with a, a couple of, well, involved with one driver um, who... Uh, you know, it would be very, I'd be very close to, and uh, <laughs> me have a bit of crack at it. And, yeah. you know, I, I like to be on the fringes of it, but not right in the, in yeah. the middle of the sport, you know. Uh -huh. And I still like to drive, don't get me wrong. I haven't drove a in two years, and I'm planning maybe to do a few events this year, but, you know, it'll, it'll never replace, no. it'll never replace the euphoria and the results that I had in the past, but it will yeah. replace the adrenaline rush. I will get that uh -huh. kick out of it again, there's no doubt about it. And I'll not be joy. For, I'm not rallying for the results. I'm rallying no. because of the self satisfaction. You know? Yeah, it's that joy, and it it sounds it just sounds like it's all come full circle, Eugene. And there's there's a you know you've spoken a few times about yin and yang, and um maybe for years it was almost like they were separate. Whereas now, when you speak of it, it sounds like it's all balanced and it's all one. And you know there is a beautiful balance of um a mixture of rallying and life and um. You know, obviously as well, you know, you're speaking there about the other things that you're involved in and giving back to the sport, being involved, but also helping other aspects to kind of, you know, maybe show show other people kind of um, how to do things that you clearly did very well. Um, and there's obviously, it's not the same as, you know, the feeling inside the rally car maybe or the success inside the rally car, but there is a sense of purpose and a real sense of fulfillment when you have an opportunity to give back to something you love so much. Uh, yeah, well, look, I don't know anything else. You know, I'm not a, I don't play golf. I don't play tennis. I don't, I'm not into football. You know, yeah. I'm not, I, I don't do anything else. It's, it's, yeah. it's been my life. So to be around it, um, it certainly brings a level of comfort because uh -huh. I enjoy it. Um, but I have to say, you know, I, I've, what am I, I'm 56 now, so I'm around the sport, you know, coming nearly 40 years around it, and I've seen a lot of changes in it. Um, mm -hmm. I see a lot of changes for the good, and there's some fantastic people at the backbone of the sport, and what, I've, what I have noticed, you know, really in the last five years is the amount of bickering and the amount of, um, you know, people not being happy with you know different elements of the sport and mm -hmm. people pulling against each other and i just think it's really sad like i think that's you know if we all love this sport so much and yeah you know we we, we should all try to work together and uh -huh. agree with our differences but try and find solutions and exactly. that's the thing that frustrates me about it um really frustrates me and then if i give an opinion at all like i actually <laughs> I give an opinion to somebody at the weekend and I know it's going to come back to bite me in the ass because I know mm. somebody's going to turn and say, oh, did you hear what Dunley said, you know? <laughs> and I just go, what the f You know, 
Why do you yeah. not say that? I'm only giving an opinion, but I'm not jamming it down your throat. I'm not saying mm-hmm. this is what you have to do. It's just, I'm only just voicing something. Um, yeah. And it's left me very reluctant to say anything because yeah. I, you know, I don't, I'm very conscious of people talking about me. Really, really mm-hmm. conscious of that. That just, yeah. oh, it just, that's the shyness. That's, that's yeah. been in me from when I was a child. Like, and mm-hmm. I get it from my poor mother. <laughs> She's <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, whereas Charlie, he's totally the opposite. He couldn't give two hoots what anybody says about him. No. And he would be as brash and as brazen. And he would laugh it off or yeah. eat me up, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But the sport, I feel, you know, the competitiveness is it. Well, you know, there seems to be a good camaraderie most way through the field. That has kind of remained, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. been always there. Yeah. Us as as, as a fellow competitors have always looked after each other. And sure, there's yeah. rivals, like, you know, sure, yeah. as you know, you interviewed me and Andrew Nesbitt <laughs> at the Ulster Rally. The competitiveness <laughs> between the two of yeah. us was, yeah. Un- yeah. It was unbelievable. But yeah. when we walked away from the cars, you know, slap on the back and what's the crack and you know, we, yeah. there was no hatred for each other. And yeah, yeah. that was the same. And I think I still believe that's there through the yeah. sport at the minute and through all the competitors that are mm-hmm. there. Like you, you, you can see that that's genuine. But when you step out of that and you step and you start to look at the organizers and, mm. you know, the marshals and the timekeepers and the amount of structure that has to go into an event now, which is massive because of the yeah. safety aspect and the insurance aspect and, you know, the sport is trying to get more professionalized and more regularized and try to save money. And there's no doubt about it at the heart of the sport. There's, you know, the people really, really, really have it in their hearts to make it better. But what I can understand is the bickering, some of the bickering that goes on and some of the, you know, the public feuds that are going on. I just think that that's really, really sad when there's absolutely no need for it. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about thousands of people, you know, yeah, I think I sometimes, you know, yeah, like that, that, that is the difficult aspect. And I think sometimes, you know, when things, because Irish rallying has become so, I mean, it always was, but I suppose in recent years, there's a huge element of professionalism um, brought to it now. And it just seems to be the way that, you know, the more kind of professionalism um, and the more sort of competition um, is brought to the fore, there's obviously then an awful lot more people get involved and and these things happen. But as you say, like it's just at the at the core of the sport, there's still such a beautiful heart. And um, you know, it's it's these relationships. If you go back to all the friendships you've mentioned, it's these relationships that really genuinely do kind of keep us all there and hold the whole thing together. And so with that being said, like, what is your favorite memory of the sport? Your proudest memory of the sport, or your time in it? Well, I think I think there has to be a few of them, um, and it's very difficult to narrow it down. But uh, you know, from a general sporting point of view, I think being part of motorsport in Ireland, north yeah. and south, and, and and to be fair, there's another subject we can touch on on that there. It's a wee bit controversial, but um, I think the greatest achievement and that I've seen from the sport that I've been involved in was bringing Rally Ireland to this country yes you know to bring sebastian Loeb, who turned out to be the nine times champion and um, the greatest rally driver ever lived uh-huh. um and he's rallied on these shores he's done events along with me 
do you know what I mean? Like I've done uh-huh. Donegal and he's been there yeah. and no, I ran the car behind him in, in Donegal in yeah. 2007. Like that was unbelievable. Yeah. I've raced Marcus Grunholm um, in Galway in 2007. Um, I, you know, again, Lobos and Cork, you know, you can't, those moments were for someone who is passionate about the sport, the greatest Magic. drivers of the greatest drivers in the world came to Ireland to rally yeah. and actually left very, very impressed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- those are th- those moments in 2007, as I say, were were probably the highlights. Like, um, yeah, the one inside the car. Um, and, and I'm sure if anybody's heard interviews before, they've heard me talk about this year. I was starting the Galway Rally on the second day, leaving Park Fermi. Um, nice, crisp, sunny morning, um, cold day. And Paul Kelly uh, turns around and he says to me, when we were sitting at the out control in Park Fermi, he says, Look behind you. And I goes, Why, what's behind me? He says, Look behind you. So I look behind me and I was going, What am I supposed to be looking at? It's not every day you start in front of a two-time world champion, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just looked at him and I went, "Fucking right." <laughs> I know. I mean, what you know, that Exactly. And yeah. the funny thing about it, on the way to Park Fermi, um, we were in the car, and uh, I think James Foley was driving, and I was in the back seat. And you two, beautiful day, come on the radio, and it, what a he couldn't have picked a better song to put you in fantastic form for a day's yeah. rallying you know the soundtrack and, uh, for that day yeah and then the yin and yang we were leading yeah. the rally and we had a gearbox problem on mishap and put out of the rally mm. um so that was the low so there's the yin and yang mm-hmm. again you know yeah it's just but, it's um, the yin and yangs everywhere isn't it it is it is but i suppose you know those those were the highlights that the sport has given me uh-huh. you know to meet sebastian loeb to meet Marcus Grunham, who I've remained in contact with and remained, I could say, as a distant friend. He came over to do some testing with us there, 2000 and Christmas 2019, or um, was it before Christmas or after? It was before Christmas 2019. He came over and he tested the Proton and he tested the MRF tires. And yeah. he stayed for a few days and my daughter was running uh, one of the little uh, restaurant hotel places in Driverstown and he stayed there and we got to meet him and went out for a pint with him and a dinner with him and you know we've stayed in touch and he's now taken on yeah. the MRF agency for Finland um so we messaged back and forward and uh-huh. how we're getting on with things you know so those those are like that's a two-time world champion like that man's yeah. a god like in the sport like yeah. and um to have met him and to have you know a rapport with him yeah. and again with with Loeb I mean we had we had to be fair to Paul, Paul built a great relationship with Daniel Ella and, and uh, Loeb, like, but to have met them and talked to them and, know. you know, they're, they're just down to earth people. Like, um, I know. It's just been, uh, those, those are the highlights. I, I think one other thing that, that the sport has brought me is, you know, with other drivers. Mm-hmm. And back when, uh, back when Craig, Craig Breen was doing uh, the European rounds in the Peugeot, he quite kindly asked me to come along and uh, do a bit of support work on him on the events. And uh, I did some gravel notes for him, probably not very successfully, but I did my best. But um, he brought me to Monte Carlo and he brought me to some European events. I think I went to Monte Carlo twice. But like, 
you know, that was a bit of a surreal thing. You know, you're out doing gravel yeah. notes with all the world championship guys, and yeah, that was a bit surreal and uh, another fantastic moment and um, what the, the the sport had brought me. You know, I know. Um, but there was the other side of it too. Is you know, there's a lot of lot of tragedy in the sport as well, uh -huh. um, and you know, we've lost people um that yeah you know have been great friends and that that's mm -hmm. difficult to manage as well you know yeah yeah and it's again i know I'd, if i if i uh, had a euro for every time i said it this evening i could probably go rallying again myself but again it's just the yin and yang isn't it it's it's mad how it's just it's just an ever um an ever present thing in our lives and there's ups and downs and i mean no better place to see all of that play out other than rallying like you know it's just so in your face um well i think i think um i think people who don't participate in it or do not have a love or a passion for it they'd, they'd find it hard to understand <laughs> and i think that's, that's what you're trying to portray with this you're trying to actually yeah. you know get people who are maybe not interested in the sport to understand what the attraction is yeah that we're not a exactly. bunch of hooligans or racers. <coughs> <laughs> That there's so much more going word, on behind it. Yeah, um, there is yeah. a very professional sport there, and there's yeah, it's, it's run extremely professional, and that's you know I, I I see what you're trying to to do and what you're trying to say that there's a human aspect to this year, yeah. and that there is structure behind it, and that there yeah. you know it's not just oh we all turn up and throw a drop of petrol in an old car with a road cage and go ripping around yeah. the roads like yeah it's yeah. not it's not like that um, yeah and as you and say we're not all a crowd of headers that just love a pile of speed and away we go like that there you know there's so much that that competitors and teams do and give up and sacrifice in order to be there and although we do it because we love it it's it it does shape you as a person and it's um it does have a huge impact on your life like you know so it's it's just one of those things where it's so interesting to try and understand what that is for different individuals you know and honestly Eugene this has been so enlightening um it has been such a privilege to uh chat with you and an honor to hear your full story and how you got to to this moment in your life and I just I want to thank you for being here with us no you're very welcome you're very welcome I've enjoyed the chat all right as I say, I'm not a, a hugely outgoing uh, person. I'd be quite shy, but get me in front of a camera or a mic and I can chat away the best, you know, talk plenty of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no bother to you at all. Eugene, thank you so much for being here and, um, you know, for giving up your time to tell us your story. The Irish Rally Podcast is brought to you in association with Tech and Tools, SVS Productions, PFT Travel, Rally Connection and Murray Motorsport.